Hello everyone, my name is Eugene Weaver, and welcome to another episode of Cinema's Soft Underbelly, where you will find all things horror, science fiction, fantasy, hard-to-find movies, little-seen movies, gems in the rough... Today I am going to do a. Uh, I'm going to be doing a two-parter series right now, uh, focusing on the works of David Toy. And David Toy has done seven movies, and the only one of his that I have not seen was his first movie from 1992. And uh, <clears throat> I actually I had never even heard about it until I clicked on IMDb. I'm like, oh, I didn't even know he did anything before the arrival. But his first movie was Grand Tour, Disaster in Time. And uh, so I've never seen that movie, and I don't really plan on seeing it. Uh, But he has done six other movies. Uh, I've seen them all numerous times. And I'm going to probably be splitting this up into a, uh, uh, as long as I can get through them all, uh, three and three in two different episodes, <clears throat> and I'm going to be focusing on uh, being, he's got a, a science fiction series that he has been involved with called Pitch Black with Chronicles of Riddick, I'm guessing that if you're watching this show you know what I'm talking about, uh, but he uh, he's doing that as well as other stuff, and I'm going to be, today I'm going to be talking about the other stuff, and then one episode, <clears throat> excuse me, will be focused primarily on the Riddick series. So I'm going to start with The Arrival from 1996. And uh, this movie, I actually have it on Blu-ray. <clears throat> and I, I must say, I'm a, I'm a big fan of this movie. And I like the fact that looking through his list of movies, I've seen every single one of his movies other than his first one from 92. I've seen every one of his movies in the theater. So I'm a big fan of this director, by the way. Uh, I think that every movie that he's done has been either good to great. He has yet to make any true duds, and that that includes The Arrival. And the Arrival was, like I said, from 1996, and it stars Charlie Sheen. And I think that this is before Charlie Sheen really went completely haywire, nuts. Um, I've always liked Charlie Sheen. I still like Charlie Sheen. I think he's... He's quite interesting to watch, and he hams it up in this movie quite well. Uh, he's and I'll, I'll get into the synopsis of the movie. But uh, also uh, on tap in this movie is Ron Silver. He's in the movie, and um, and there's other there's other uh, actors and actresses that you'll if you watch this movie you'll you'll recognize them. You'll be like, oh yeah, okay, I know who that person is. So. Uh, I'm going to read the back of the Blu-ray here. Uh, radio astronomer Zane Zeminski, yes, that's, that's his name, believes he's picked up a cosmic noise that signals extraterrestrial intelligence. But after turning over the tape to his boss, Phil Gordian, that's played by Ron, that character's played by Ron Silver, Zane's fired. And his girlfriend, uh, Terry Polo, gets transferred and his partner is found dead of a supposed suicide. Zane's desperate search for answers leads him to Mexico, 
and a mysterious power plant that is generating more than electricity and is run by people who are not what they appear to be. Arrested for the murder of a scientist, investigating an impending ecological disaster, Zane escapes custody carrying proof of a world-shattering alien invasion in this intense science fiction thriller. So there you go. There's a synopsis. And what could have been a hokey sci-fi original type movie uh, comes off as way more than what it seemed like it was going to be. I think that it was done brilliantly. The, the, The script on this movie was great. The story itself was so, so good. Uh, I love the fact that that uh, it's it's almost a sprawling. Uh, I don't want to say epic because it's not epic, but it's a it's a very it's it's much bigger than what the story sounds like. And this is a almost two hour running time, and that's pretty substantial for a fairly low but lower budget alien invasion type movie. The budget on this was twenty five million dollars, and in in nineteen ninety six, that's that's decent. Um, uh, but it only brought in $14 million at the box office. However, I was one of those people that supported that movie. So I I watched it. And it it holds up really good upon re-watching. Uh, <clears throat> some of the CGI in this movie does incorporate CGI. It looks a, a bit fake now, obviously, because this was, this was uh, about six years after after CGI started to become something with Terminator 2, The Abyss, and then obviously Jurassic Park. Uh, so it still has come a long way since this movie, but how David Toy used it in this movie, I feel, was, uh, was very good. And it, it, uh, it, it fit the movie. It wasn't like they were overdoing it. They weren't trying to overdo it. And there is a lot of, of practical effects in the movie. I think that... Uh, it was quite well cast, honestly. It uh, I, seeing Charlie Sheen in this movie, and even Ron Silver, uh, Ron Silver was very good in this. Uh, I think with an even bigger budget, and a, a, I, I hate to say remake this thing, but I like the story so much, and I even the way the aliens look, uh, which for the most part are CGI creations, are really good. Uh, I thought that they they looked creepy and I totally bought into the fact that there is an alien invasion and they're planning on taking over uh, the world and it it works the movie works quite well I was I was thoroughly impressed um there isn't a whole lot of of notes and stuff on IMDb but uh but that's okay I I'd like to say a little bit more about the ending uh but I can't. I will say though that that they they do. I think they stretched the budget really well in this movie. Uh, when it was all said and done, I'm like that was that was there was a lot of action in that movie. There was a lot of uh, special effects, and it it just worked. So uh, it's not by no means is this my favorite David Toy movie, but it's still a very very watchable, very fun science fiction movie that you should rewatch. I've never seen. The sequel. Uh, there was a sequel in 1998, uh, and I have not seen that one. Although it was directed by Kevin Tenney, and Kevin Tenney, uh, it, I, I think, is a pretty decent director. 
He's done uh, Witchboard, Night of the Demons, uh, Witchboard 2, and a, a, a Child's Play type knockoff called Pinocchio's Revenge. So he's done a nice amount of movies, and I, I'm actually kind of surprised that I haven't watched The Arrival Part 2. Uh, it doesn't have any of the of the cast of the first one, to my knowledge. Patrick Muldoon is in this. Patrick Muldoon was uh, in Starship Troopers, Stigmata. Um, so, anyway, one of these days I'll get around to watching The Arrival Part 2, uh, especially seeing how... Uh, uh, seeing how it was directed by Dave, uh, Kevin Tenney, and it is actually now that I see it's on IMDb, or you can watch it on IMDb actually. So I'm gonna give that one a watch here pretty soon. Okay, so moving on. <clears throat> Next up is the movie, and I'm just I'm gonna hit on this one uh, a little bit, but I'm gonna save the the best one of this episode for last. And the reason I'm going to talk about this movie next is because I actually just watched this movie, finished watching it this morning, picked it up on Blu-ray for a little over $2, which is amazing. You know that Blu-ray has saturated the market when you can get used Blu-rays for 2 to $3. That is official market saturation. And so there you have it. 2009's A Perfect Getaway. And in my humble opinion, this is David Toy's worst movie. However, having said that, it's still a watchable movie. I've only seen it twice now, and uh, my thoughts on it remain pretty much the same as the first time I watched it. Um, There's a good movie in here. It's a bit too long, and part of that might be because I, I watched the unrated director's cut, and all that really is added into the movie is a lot more character beats and plot plot development, I guess. But it didn't need it. Um, the theatrical version was 98 minutes, and this version is an hour and 48 minutes. And I watched it in the theater. Now, this is back in 2009, so this is five years ago. And i got to tell you, I didn't remember a whole lot about it since then, since I saw it in the theater. Other than thinking, eh, that was okay, that wasn't, that wasn't bad, and... My thoughts are exactly the same on repeat viewing. Is that wasn't bad. It was it was decent. It was um, I wasn't ever overly bored, but a, a tightening up of the movie would have been much better. And and honestly, the next time I watch this movie, being as it is on Blu-ray, both versions, I'm going to watch the theatrical version the next time because it just felt too long to me. This version, and it, it, as far as content-wise. Um, this almost might fall into a Rob Zombie Halloween category to where they're not necessarily adding more violence or things like that. It's just more character beats, and all it does is slow the movie down or it makes you dislike the characters more than you should. Uh, so, <clears throat> anyway, okay, a perfect getaway. I'm going to read the back of the Blu-ray here, which I might add looks fantastic because of the location that this movie was shot. Um Mila Jovovich, Steve Zahn, and Timothy Olympanat. Uh, I'm butchering his name. I'm sorry. Um, we're just going to go with Timothy. I hate the fact that I can't pronounce his last name right. Um, star in this gripping suspense thriller about an island vacation that turns deadly. Honeymooners Cliff and Sydney are hiking a jungle trail to a remote Hawaiian beach 
when they hear that police have uncovered a grisly murder scene and the suspected killers are somewhere nearby. Unsure whether to stay or flee, the pair joins two other couples and things start to go horribly wrong. Far from civilization, a brutal battle for survival begins where danger lurks along every twist of the path and no one is who they seem. Uh, from Director from director David Toy comes a suspenseful film. Critics call a clever, heart-pounding thriller. Yeah, it's pushing it. Uh, but <clears throat> for what it was, I I uh, I enjoyed it. I I do also want to add that Chris Hemsworth is in this movie, and Chris Hemsworth, as you know, is Thor. Uh, so anyway, this was it wasn't his uh, first movie. Obviously, he had done a bunch of other stuff. Uh, but his first actual, I'm looking at, at uh, IMDb right now, and his actual first movie was uh, 2009 Star Trek, and then right after that was A Perfect Getaway, and I'm not sure which was shot first, they were both 2009, but everything else he did was TV show stuff, so there you go. Uh, okay, so let's just see here if there's any trivia type stuff on the movie. Okay, so it is set uh, in Hawaii, and... And uh, basically, to me, the movie all revolves around a big twist. And even the twist itself, when it comes, the twist takes almost eight to ten minutes to explain. Uh, everything is just overdone, and it's um, it, it's weird to de- it's hard for me to describe this movie because instead of being very sly, this movie is just continually almost beating you over the head with. Um, there's going to be a big twist coming. There's going to be a big twist coming. Wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. And it doesn't feel like there's obviously red herrings in this movie. And this isn't really a horror movie. This is more of a, an adventure thriller type thing. Uh, but it's just it, it it feels odd. Like the the way it was made feel feels odd for this subject matter. And it just it feels like an 80, 85 minute movie that's stretched out way too long. Uh, some notes here. Uh, director David Toy has been quoted in recent interviews as saying that he had battled with the studio to allow the movie to continue on with an R rating instead of a PG-13 version. And uh, I, you know, I honestly can understand why the studio would have wanted a PG-13 rated movie because this is honestly a, it, this is a very mild R rating. Um, and the unrated, the unrated version to me means nothing. It's you're not missing anything other than character beats. Uh, there is a little bit of nudity. There's some bad language, a little bit of violence. But this is one of those movies that probably could have been trimmed back all of 30 seconds. And that's even pushing it. And, it, I mean, we're talking frames. And it would have still had generally the same impact. So, um, now, now, having said that, I am a huge proponent of the version that the director wanted. And, and the director wanted an R rating, and I'm glad that he got it. And I would like, I am curious if if the unrated version is his true director's cut, or if that is a sales ploy to try and get you to watch, or try to get you to buy the movie. Because uh, in some instances, the theatrical version is simply better. And I don't want to say if it is or not in this case, because I haven't seen the theatrical in five years, so I, I can't say. Um, uh, just a couple other notes here. Um, they make a couple references to Nicolas Cage, and which was kind of funny, uh, especially with how how uh, 
they almost imitate how he talks. And uh, and Timothy had actually worked with Nicolas Cage on Gone in 60 Seconds. So I thought, I'm like, ah, there you go. They're kind of connected somehow. Uh, in addition to working together on this film, Mila Jovovich and uh, Timothy Olymphanat, I think I got it right there, maybe, maybe. You can email me and find out. I hate that I ha- he has a last name that I can't pronounce. Uh, have both worked on films that were adaptations of video games. Uh, she was in Resident Evil and he was in Hitman. Um, she got the better end of the uh, stick there. Resident Evil was good. Hitman, uh, not so much. Although that's another one that I should probably rewatch. So, uh, anyway, um, not a whole lot of other notes on the movie. I, I enjoyed it for what it was, but it, it is flawed. Uh, it's, I was expecting more. Uh, I was expecting, I don't know. I was just expecting something different. It just, it's just an odd, it was an odd movie. Uh, the budget of this movie was $14 million. So a significant drop from, uh, this is probably his smallest budgeted movie. And I can, it makes sense because there's really no special effects or very little to speak of. This is a, you know, set now and on an island with a bunch of people in, you know, swimming trunks and bikinis and not much else happens like other than chasing each other around. So uh, I can understand why the budget was, was smaller there. Uh, but again, it's watchable. There are certainly worse ways to spend an hour and 48 minutes, but there is better ways as well. So uh, that's that movie. Uh, now, on to... A movie that I consider to be uh, neck and neck with the best thing that David Toy's ever done. And because I'm going to hit on the Riddick movies uh, in the next episode, I don't want to get into those movies a whole lot this episode. But I will say in in his filmography, uh, I would say that my favorite movie from him is probably his newest Riddick, although it is kind of a I don't want to say a remake but they, they he steals a bunch of stuff from his own first pitch black movie uh, however it's basically pitch black but done with an even bigger budget and uh, I loved it I thought it was fantastic and I would say that that's probably my favorite movie from him uh, I would say this and the first pitch black are neck and neck with being my second favorite and that is 2002's Below and uh, this movie, uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, Dimension had the rights to this movie and uh, in a roundabout way. Basically, it comes down to the Weinsteins. And this movie was dumped in theaters for, oh, limited release and uh, didn't play on many screens, didn't play for very long, flopped. And I blame that completely and totally on the wine scenes. I blame that on the fact that it did not get any promotional push whatsoever. Um, and it just... I i actually saw it in the theater uh, here in Canton, Ohio. I watched it and it was on for maybe one or two weeks. I don't know. I can't imagine it was on for two weeks. Um, it here it opened on 168 screens, which is typical for something like they, they would pull that. And the it brought in... On opening weekend, two hundred thousand uh, dollars. That's it. So thanks, Miramax. Uh, this movie is fantastic. Uh, it it upon rewatching, it is it is so good. Uh, 
And I wish that I would have the, I don't have the budget in front of me. I wish I would. Um, I might even try and uh, try and get the budget here while I'm still talking. But uh, I do have a blue, and that's another thing is uh, the Blu-ray of it is quite good. Uh, but it's it was dumped on onto uh, onto Blu-ray with another movie from it's another one of those Miramax jobs a cheap it was cheap uh, a cheap cash in type thing budget title budget release doesn't even have surround sound it has uh, uncompressed audio but it's not 5.1 and um, yeah I'm like that's about right it this should have like a deluxe a deluxe treatment but it doesn't. Um, okay, so the plot of the movie is the USS Tiger Shark is a submarine on patrol in the Atlantic Ocean during August 1943. The submarine is ordered to pick up survivors spotted adrift by a British patrol plane. At the wreck site, they retrieve three passengers, a British nurse and two others, one wounded from a British hospital ship that was torpedoed several days earlier uh, as they pick up the survivors, the Tiger Shark spots a German warship bearing down on them. The submarine has several encounters with the German warship and suffers damage from depth charges in the process. Uh, later, the commanding officer of the Tiger Shark, uh, Lieutenant Bryce, which is he's played by Bruce Greenwood, discovers that he's he is uh, in the J.J. Uh, Abrams Star Trek movies. Just as FYI, discovers that the wounded survivor is actually a German POW. Um, and now we're going to get into some uh, spoilerish type things, but let's just say that, that bad things start to happen on this, on this U-boat. And, uh, it, it's, it's so, so good. Uh, I, I tell you, it, it immediately you're sucked in. It was fantastically shot. Um, again, I'm surprised that, that it got dumped like it did. Uh, but you know that's just the way it is. Matthew Davis is in the movie. Uh, Olivia Williams, uh, Zach Galifianakis is in this movie as Weird Wally. Um, Jason Fleming, uh, Andrew Howard, different actors. If you, if you see them, you would uh, you would like, oh, I've seen that person in this movie. Um, so I'm seeing here that the final the final box office take was six hundred five thousand dollars. That's it. So why wouldn't the studio try to make more money than that? Of course, people aren't going to see it if it's only on 160 some screens and no publicity whatsoever. I don't, I, I just don't understand that. But whatever. Um, film was rated 63 percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and that's good. That's that's considered good. Um, so anyway, oh well, it is what it is. Uh, I'm not a movie producer, a uh, big, big time movie producer. So they obviously have reasons for doing what they do, and uh, I, whatever. So uh, anyway, this movie is very Twilight Zoney in feel. It feels like a Twilight Zone movie, and uh, that's one of the reasons I love it. It's claustrophobic. It's uh, it feels real. It feels like you're really under uh, deep in the ocean with these guys, where something is not as it seems and they might may or may not be seeing ghosts. Something is amiss and it, the plot unfolds beautifully. Uh, unlike a perfect getaway, this is done very, it's slower paced and it's deliberate in it's reveal of what's really going on. And it's not just constantly, 
jackhammering you over the head like Perfect Getaway seemed to be doing. Uh, Darren Aronofsky wrote, was one of the writers on this movie. And if you don't know who that is and you're listening to this show, then shame on you. Uh, he did Requiem for a Dream, The Fountain, Black Swan, Pie, The Wrestler, uh, Noah, which I am a defender of that movie and I will always and forever be a defender of that movie. I thought that was a very good movie. Um, so it's it's well written. Uh, it's weird to see Zach Galifianakis in a role like this, by the way, because he's he's the hangover guy. He's he's the chubby, funny guy. Well, here he's yeah, he's still chubby, I guess, but it's just it's, it's he fits good. He's kind of the comic relief, but he fits good into this cast of characters that are all kind of freaking out on this submarine where, like I said, just creepy goings ons. So. Um, Darren Aronofsky, who, like I said, he co-wrote the screenplay. He was originally going to direct the film in 1999, but instead he made Requiem for a Dream. And I say that was, that's great. Uh, I'm actually quite glad that he did that, that he made Requiem for a Dream and that David Toy made Below because Below seems like a David Toy movie. It feels like something he'd make. After watching all his other movies, uh, it, it goes perfectly with his list of credits. So I think that that was, that was cool that it played out like that because because of Requiem for a Dream, uh, Aronofsky's gone on to be an award-winning director. So um, some filming of the movie uh, took place on an actual World War II submarine, uh, the USS Silversides, which is available for tours, located in Muskegon, Michigan. It was towed out in the middle of Lake Michigan uh, where scenes with Bruce Greenwood were filmed. The Silversides had some minor repainting done for rust coloration, uh, but it's now back in the original gray color, and the rest of the sets and models used in this movie were all based on the look and layout of the silver sides. So there you go, a little trivia for you. Um, uh, let's see here. Originally, Frank Sinatra singing I'll Be Seeing You was supposed to be mysteriously playing on the record player. When the studio had difficulties obtaining the rights, the song was replaced by Benny Goodman's Sing, Sing, Sing with a Swing. And uh, I can only imagine what it would have been like with something else. I think that the song that they use in the movie is perfect, and it's it's very creepy. You have to watch it to know what I'm talking about, but there's this old song that's being played, and it just plays at odd, inopportune times, and uh, it works very, very well. So as far as the whole claustrophobic submarine-type movie, you use 571, uh, Das Boot, uh, I think that Below hangs with them easily, easily, if not outshines uh, at least U571 in the, you know, with the depth char- depth charges going off and what's going on on this, on this submarine because something is not right here. So there is a very much a fantasy feel to the movie. Uh, but highly recommended. Highly recommended. I would say of all the movies that I've talked about today, this is the one to watch as soon as you can. And if you can't get it on Blu-ray, Watch it on DVD. It's worth the viewing. Trust me. So uh, I got to say, Dave Toy, uh, and I'll, I'll get into the Riddick movies later, but um, you know, I don't know a whole lot about the guy. And it, he, it's not like he's cranking out movies one after the other. He's not, in my opinion. Um, he doesn't work with humongous budgets. Even, even the Riddick movies, I know that the second Riddick movie had a more substantial budget. Um, but I got to tell you, you know, Seeing, like, for example, uh, right now they're still looking for a director for Star Trek Three, because Abrams is obviously he's in Star Wars world. Well, 
for me, I thought of uh, two people that I think would have been perfect for directing gig on Star Trek Three. One of them was Jonathan Frakes of, or, or Nicholas Myers, one of the original Star Trek movie directors. Um, I thought either of them would have been good. And I also think that David Toy would have been really, really good. He's shown what he can do with small budgets and uh, f- substantial budget with uh, the second uh, Chronicles of Riddick movie. Um, and even his lower budget movies, like even A Perfect Getaway, it looks beautiful. And it's shot fantastic. Uh, but I think that he would be great at taking on something like that and maybe giving it a little bit more hard-edged uh, hard-edged feel. Although I think that the Star Trek movies are going in the in the right direction. I like I like where these ones are going. Uh, but I think that he would be. I think that that would be a brilliant choice for a directing gig for for Toei to have the reins on Star Trek Three. Um, that's just my Star Trek sci-fi nerd ramblings. It you know I'm guessing it will never happen, but eh, yeah, whatever. Um, and you know the original Star Trek directors, one of them I think would be good too, uh, but. That's I'm not the one that's calling the shots, so I can just talk on my podcast about who I think should be uh, directing. So anyway, um, I'm gonna wrap things up. I hope that you've enjoyed this. I'm looking really, I'm really looking forward to talking about the Riddick movies. Uh, but these three, all three to varying degrees, are very watchable. Below is fantastic. The Arrival is quite good, and Perfect Getaway is a very serviceable thriller, at least for a one-time watch, and you're done. Give it a shot. Um, Next episode, I'm going to hit on the Riddick movies. So that's going to do it for me today. I'm Eugene Weaver. You can get a hold of me at eugene-weaver at hotmail.com with any questions, concerns, comments, movies I should watch, uh, how I can actually pronounce Timothy Blah's last name, and all that other good stuff. Uh, make sure that you check out Movie Freaks over on YouTube. Had a great uh, episode here a couple days ago, and it's going to be up here soon. And then our friends over at Cinema Sidekicks. They're talking new release stuff, and now that the uh, big winter movies are upon us with The Hobbit, although I know that Steve doesn't like The the Hobbit movies, hopefully one of them will watch it and give us a review, although I am going to be watching that real soon, too. So, anyway, that's it for me. I'm Eugene Weaver, and until next time, thanks for listening.